0: Welcome back to Dragon Like Sun." Episode three. I am Jack O'Way. I am the son of
1: the Dragon Like Sun. And I am Jay O'Way. I am the dragon of like Dragon Like Sun," I guess i'm really the father i'm not actually a dragon well for those of you at home listening who were wondering
0: maybe not an ancient dragon yet but you're working you're almost there you're close
1: what what color dragon
0: what color if Mm. i if
1: i if you had to pick a color dragon for me what color am i
0: black dragon oh really Uh, well they're kind of
1: cool i mean they got those like i mean they do live in
0: swamps but
1: yeah but they got like black scales kind of cool
0: it is quite cool
1: it's like like the black leather jacket of dragons.
0: <laughs> I suppose. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like the biker gang. Yeah, the biker gang dragon of dragons. Yeah, honestly.
1: Which actually, now that I've just said that, I sort of feel like at some point I should make up a a, a black dragonborn. A, yeah, black. Well, a bunch of them, black dragonborns that are like right, right, like a biker, the equivalent of a biker gang. Sure. That you bump into in some tavern
0: someplace. That's a cool idea. Start a fight. Yeah, dope. Bunch of black dragonborns. That's a cool idea. Just a bunch of MP. That's like a recurring thing, you know, like the Black Dragon Biker Gang
1: from
0: um, the wrong side of town. Yeah,
1: I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so this is a podcast where we, if you haven't guessed already, talk uh, about d Yes, we talk about our crazy father-son D&D ideas, which we spend a lot of time every day talking about anyways. So we decided that a couple of times a week we were just going to sit down and record them maybe for posterity maybe for other people in the world to listen to and enjoy and maybe get some ideas from uh please feel free to borrow or steal any of the ideas that we come up with here today uh and if you have any questions about stuff please yeah try to contact us via the interwebs and well i mean make you part of the conversation we're sure. up to episode three. I'm sure we have tons and tons of fans already. Right.
0: All seven viewers by now. If we have seven, we'll be lucky. That's true. Um. Anyways, I wanted to get started perhaps discussing where you got back into D&D. And so for new listeners, we are two different generations of D&D players. I right. am a fifth edition player. I mean, I have some of the 3.5 manuals, but I'm solely fifth edition player. Yeah,
1: an old... Uh, an old friend of mine, who I learned to play D and D with as a kid, um, gave me those actually those third edition books as a I think as a wedding gift.
0: Oh wow! Really?
1: Yeah, strange wedding gift, but I love the guy. He was my best man at the wedding, um, and you and I we've actually played D and D with him.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we, well, it was Pathfinder.
1: We we did. All
0: right, technically it was Pathfinder, but uh, and, you know, at the end you know, of the day, close enough. I mean, we're going to be talking full on D anD D. I mean, I don't know. We don't talk Pathfinder Pathfinder much.
1: No, we sort of feel like it's just the bit the poor cousin. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's always sort of been like lagging behind. I feel. I mean, just my opinion on it. Um,
1: Although it does have some stuff, some fun stuff in it. It does. Um, It does. Anyway, so D anD D. Yeah, I got back into D anD D, kind of properly playing it, like regularly, weekly. sort of last fall and uh the first character I made uh to get sort of back into it uh is a Firbolg Fearbulk. explain
0: to the people at home who don't know what the Firbolg is what's
1: the Fearbulk? he's uh
0: He's from uh, Bolo's Guide. Bolo's Guide to Monsters, the supplement there. For yeah. Teresa so if, monsters. You,
1: if you want to try and find him to make one, you'll need to purchase the purchase content. That. Or find a
0: DM that's already got it, and then yeah, we'll content share with you.
1: Share with you. Um, the Fruit books have been around like since way back in the day. The Way back in the day, they were proper, full on, scary, giant right. type creatures. But they've always been forest dwelling right, right. folk. And. Somewhere along the way. I think, like, just recently. I think a fifth edition's made a bit of a dream. Pretty much in the last little while. Um,
0: the it, Firbolgs it, went
1: under, under a sort of transformation where they a complete
0: got... Complete 180 almost. They got ways. kind
1: of fey-touched, t- um, and they became sort of softer, gentler, fuzzy little giants of the forest. Uh, okay. And my giants, I don't mean, like, huge ones. They're, like, you know... Seven, they, eight
0: feet tall. Yeah,
1: they're tall. They're big, big. Uh, by comparison
0: to humans, right.
1: other characters uh, in the game, and uh, but they're not they're not sold as giant fighting warrior types. They're no. sort of to- sold a little bit more as sort of Protectors wise of nature, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. sort of things. And of course, the immediate idea for that is the druid or the ranger. Yeah, they are built specifically hey, druids and clerics they
1: work great with because they've got wisdom boosts yeah. which you need for those classes um, I wasn't so interested in building either of those I was joining a party that already had uh, a druid so sort of building a druid in it um, we needed we needed a rogue um, mm. but we also had a setting that had a lot of forest sort of stuff and I sort of had this idea that a big furbal sort of fuzzy eight foot tall guy running around the woods remind me a lot of Bigfoot or sasquatch of some sort mm. and I really like the idea of somebody a creature that's that big being
0: so elusive. really yeah.
1: yeah really stealthy really hard to find in the forest the ability to sort of just disappear in the trees um, and so yeah the idea was simply to make a rogue, uh, I used the scout subclass. Right. Perfect
0: which, for all your nature stuff. Yeah. A scout's
1: really. a really great r- ranger, probably better ranger better than, than a ranger. I mean, is. we can get into that. Uh, and yeah, gave him really good stealth. Um, and, Expertise? And, and yeah, he, he, at fourth level, he also picked up the, um, skulker feet mm-hmm. Which very makes...
0: underused. I mean, situational, but quite powerful in some circumstances. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of. I don't think it's, you know, statistically, it's not one of the most played feats. But yeah, and it's not always. It's really but... great
1: because it increases the rogue's ability to hide. Mm. Uh, typically, you need to be heavily obscured, which. Our rule of thumb, uh, rule of thumb at the table is that's equivalent to about three quarters cover, at least normally to hide. Right. Um, or you know it needs to be dark, or it needs to be thick fog, or it needs to be um, thick f- uh, brush of some sort. Like or if you're
0: halfling behind other people.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so yeah, and that this is the reason why hide is normally set to that level because the halflings can sort of hide. Behind the front. Yeah, in half cover and things. It's a bit of a bonus hide for them that's a bit better. Skulker takes you up to that sort of level as well for us at the table. Um, it says lightly obscured in the rules. We read that as half cover. It says dim light, so we can hide in, you know, partial shadow, uh, mm. the edge of sort of where light is. Um, at least he can hide in that space from people with normal vision. He can't just hide in that space, obviously, from anyone with dark vision but um it does mean that he has the ability to to hide and to shoot and then and oh that's the great bit about skull feet as well if you're hiding and you take a shot
0: and you miss you're still hidden right
1: which is pretty awesome pretty awesome um, cuz you don't have to go and rehide again so our table rule as well cuz we and it's a good table rule generally speaking you don't want the hide action To become a superpower like invisibility. It shouldn't be super invisibility. Right. So after I've shot from a hidden position.
0: You're no longer hidden.
1: I'm no longer hidden. And I can't re-hide in exactly the same spot again. At least not on that same turn. I need to move. So typically I'm moving back and forth between a couple of different places. Um... We also play with a variant rule where if I don't move at all, I can use my bonus action to take the aim um, bonus action that's in the class variants and then still be able to make, uh, and, and for those of you who aren't unfamiliar with the rules, why am I doing all this? Why am I working so hard to hide? Um, hiding provides him with an unseen attacker rule, which gives him advantage on his range
0: attacks. Which means you can apply sneak attack.
1: Exactly. so The ultimate rogue ability. Which is what you're always trying to to gun for.
0: Now the fun thing about Firbolgs, and I find this a lot with some of the larger classes or races, and I think they did this on purpose to maybe make up for their lack of stealthiness, you see it in the Earth Genasi as well, is that they often have abilities that let them be a little bit more stealthy. Um, Such as the Genasi's ability to cast pass Out Trace, or the Fearbog's ability to turn invisible, which is sort of what brought the whole idea together in yeah, some ways. So
1: on top of his ability, just because he's got really high stealth, um actually he's got expertise in stealth. Uh so he's mm,
0: very good at very, it. Very good
1: at it. He's also got yeah, got the natural ability called Hidden Step, which is a really weak uh version ability, yeah. Um that lasts basically until the beginning of your next turn. However, it's super great in getting him set up on the field of battle. Often once we've rolled initiative, the first thing he'll do on his first turn is to turn invisible and then make a run across the board somewhere to where there, he'll be able to more easily get some cover the following turn. Um, And he's, you know, he's a bit squishy. He's a glass cannon for sure. He's wears leather armor. He's got like a leather duster jacket and like a sort of a, uh, one of those sort of Australian style hunting type hats that sort of folded up one side. Um, oh. I can't think of what they're called. And uh, yeah. So he's eight feet tall and super hard to spot when he's hiding. He's mm-hmm. the biggest guy on the team and the stealthiest. I, I think that
0: Something kind of funny about that. About how an eight foot tall, fear bull can just disappear. Just disappear. It's quite fun. Quite fun idea, especially playing into that Sasquatch, and then later when you put his role play aspects together, um, sort of became this really fun idea for a character.
1: Yeah. So the my favorite of your characters. Yeah. So the background for him in the the game is that he's he's so the the setting of the game uh, takes place in a home brewed campaign. Right where the, uh, royal family has, uh, has just been assassinated. There's been a coup mm. and various, uh, sort of agents who became, who were loyal to the royal family, uh, are, are known as Falcon watch. And he's a member of that. And they are from different sort of branches of the, the royal court, if you will. Uh, we have a paladin who's a oath of the crown. Uh, she's sort of a knight of the realm, and the Firbolg. He's a he's a captain of the royal woodsmen, who are sort of a network of rangers and and scouts who protect the frontier, mm. um, as well as doing some spying on neighboring kingdoms and whatnot. Right. Um, quite pride themselves sometimes on being able to. Stop conflict before it becomes a conflict with you know the right information. So
0: he's part spy,
1: uh, but which also is the idea his provoked
0: disguise self
1: comes into play. Right, that he
0: loves nature, you know, and he was a gardener in the royal family. Right. Yeah,
1: one of his cover stories for why he was around the court all the time. was that he was the royal gardener. Mm. Um, one of his sort of background things. So yeah, it's it's a very it's a fun game. It's quite role play heavy. We have a good time at the table, um, right. getting into characters. And um, yeah, I think think when you build a character, it, you know, like the thing about, we've been talking about the last couple of episodes, is, you know, to come up with an idea like that that you think that you like, that's fun, and doesn't matter if you think, oh, well, this race is all about wisdom. Like, you know, who cares? Make him a, a, you know, a dex charisma character. Go for it. Don't, Don't even sweat it, just... You know just make it happen
0: build it however you want to build it you know yeah
1: and I, I have to say he's not the you know he doesn't have the highest deck score he doesn't have sure. the best constitution he doesn't have his stat blocks are all kind of in the wrong place all, all over
0: the place Yeah. but it doesn't matter
1: he he's got one level also a fighter mm-hmm. um because i wanted him to have a heavy crossbow and that got him the heavy crossbow proficiency. He also picked up second wind which is helpful sometimes
0: for and archery to, like, plus two tier.
1: Yeah, and I got so we got the archerage giving him plus two to hit. So it makes him quite dangerous um, with the heavy crossbow, uh, especially when you add the sneak attack dice
0: on top of that. So. Sure. Yeah, I mean he's quite a force to be reckoned with sometimes at the table if you can get him done right. You know, in the in the back and just pulling off shots. And I think sometimes it's the beauty of playing a ranged character that if you can play it right, especially as a rogue and sort of sneak and the enemies can't find you. And with your sort of ability to turn invisible, move, and run away, you can really sort of relocate yourself on the on the field. And with Skirmisher, like, you've sort of built a really powerful maneuvering. Yeah,
1: and for those who don't know, Skirmisher is a scout.
0: Ability, which yeah, lets ability. you so, move. Which and and it comes
1: it in handy. So if, if somebody gets up close to the forester, they 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 might get an attack on him. But as soon as they finish their turn, he as a reaction, up. he moves 15 feet.
0: It doesn't provoke opportunity attack, it? It doesn't it? provoke no, an opportunity okay. to attack
1: to do so. Um, which is pretty freaking great, uh, to be honest. Because mm. uh, it, it definitely means I can... if Especially if we're in a tight position like that, not only can I move away, I often can put uh, one of my fellow party members between me and the bad guys um, in a move like that. So yeah it's it's good to get behind the paladin if you need
0: uh, mm. <laughs> i mean that's what paladins are for yeah, yeah if
1: you need somebody to tank a bit more for you um so yeah
0: I, I like him quite a bit and like sort of i feel like with you you were sort of very into some of the like the very park ranger vibe because for a while we were instead of it i mean we still are sort of camp campers in some way yeah
1: and, uh, i mean I, I grew up with a lot of camping in canada and a lot of outdoorsy stuff.
0: Yeah, and this character's sort had of given you an opportunity to sort of like maybe flex those muscles a little bit. Sure.
1: I mean, I think the backstory at least anyways in it was, you know, furbolgs are all about trying to protect the forest. And the very literal idea of that is like, well, there you are defending a tree, you know, fighting for your little patch of forest. Right. Whereas his idea was, well, he managed to convince the king through you know many years of loyal service to set aside a big section of the forest as a royal preserve and so in some ways he's done more to protect more forests than any other furbolg sort of in the history of the kingdom because he went through he worked with the system from within the system but now of course he's he's terribly gutted because the guys who've taken over uh,
0: are undoing it all
1: yeah well they're they're being driven forward by a demon lord and power and greed and chopping down a bunch of the big trees in the forest to build right. huge ships of some sort so yeah foresters a little bit freaked out by all that.
0: <laughs> and this would have been more of also an ethical quandary with him about how far he's willing to lie and deceive especially as sort of a rogue like that's sort of the typical idea but you're sort of playing with him still going a little you know crazy with it you know i mean i don't know spill too many beans but there are He's sort of got like this code of like who do we kill and who do we keep alive, and it's sort of being tested in a way, sort of through each session. I feel
1: yeah, the testing the code is, uh, I think the DM's job, and we've got a great dungeon master in that who has definitely been over the last couple months putting us in very difficult moral quandary sort of space uh both Forrester and the paladin are sort of the most lawful uh characters in the group and have found themselves again and again being in situations that are um they're very challenging for them to decide whether you know the path they're on is mm-hmm. still the path that's the right one that's about the crown and about turning the proper people to the throne and. About protecting the things they swore to protect and um, yeah there's there's been some been a couple of you know field trials that they've held and a couple of right summary executions carried out um, and they feel just that that you know how they've done it is the right way to have done it but there's also this little bit of like feeling that they're you know, in times of war, characters have to do things that they're they're not sure of the right things. And I, I think we've got a really good vibe for that at the table that it's um,
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean I think I'm always excited when you come home and talk about your campaigns and especially with Wrath of Remnants. I mean it's sort of the first one that you started, right? Um, after getting back into D D and sort of been ongoing still. And it's definitely been an intense one. I mean, he, he started off with quite the, the shocker, you know, episode one. immediate, like, Yeah. Uh, crazy.
1: Yeah. So, pretty much a pretty fun day to sort of like, in you know, a way, to start a, a new character, a new campaign is, uh, you know, the DM reads sort of the opening vibe of us all being called into Falcon Watch Hall. And suddenly a fireball erupts in the middle of the room and everybody has to roll for initiative. I thought there'd be a little bit more of like, you know, role play, getting to know each other, introduce, describe your character. We did that stuff a bit later. Into the deep end. First thing was role initiative. Right. And, oh yeah, by the way, like so you all showed up at the meeting, you know, if you've got light armor, that's it. You can have, if you had a dagger with you on your character, you've got that, but none of the rest of your weapons. You came to a meeting tonight. You weren't coming to a fight. And so suddenly we've got this whole brand new party of players who've never worked together. All in a very difficult situation where they're basically <laughs> running. Um, mm. None of us can really like stand and fight at this point. We are just especially like,
0: hurts for the paladin, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we were just fighting our way out of the
0: building at that point, just
1: trying to get away, mm. and uh, that was fun. It was yeah. a great way to get to start to know get get to know each other. We had a session zero, zero before that as well, which um, again, if you're if you're just starting this game or uh, if you're thinking about getting into D anD, d or if you're thinking about DMing for the first time um, I think it's super important to have a session where everybody gets together right, and you lay zero. down the
0: ground rules for how you're going to manage everything what your expectations are just communicating with the players a little bit ahead of time just understanding the characters is by, like getting to know them a little bit you know Yeah. because if you know their backstory and who the characters are you can almost fit them into your well, world or into the module we, we revealed a lot of that stuff you know, in game. Well, of course, I think, personality. I think it just from the game, player's but... perspective,
1: like being, being open with each other to sort of say, Hey, look, we do want to role play. Sure. A yeah. lot more at this table.
0: And that doesn't have to be a priority at your table. But... Well,
1: we, we wanted to make it one that was, you know, uh, something we got to do more of and to make sure that we gave each other sort of space when somebody, you know, wants to get into a scene and wants to do something, Sure. Um, that, that we give them room to do so and have toes, some fun right. with it. Um, and uh, we've had some fantastic scenes sort of because of that. It's, mm. it's uh, a really
0: enjoyable sort of table. I think once you sort of have one game, it can sort of spark into two games and sure. then three games. But, but I mean, and every game is different. Crazy, like some, but...
1: games, some games really are... And I think there's a lot of people who play D and D who see the fun of it as the combat system.
0: Sure.
1: I want to get in there and I want to I want to get into fights. Um, I want to get battle maps out. I want to get minis on the table, and you know, let's let's fight some stuff.
0: I mean, a lot of classes shine. Like you get all your cool abilities in combat, so of course you want to do combat. Yeah. You know?
1: I mean, it it doesn't take a genius to read through the rules to realize that. Everything
0: in there is kind of geared for combat. for combat, yeah. I mean, you are adventurers. Sure. But there are exploring things. Like, magic can delve into that, and some classes can delve into that. And I think the ranger gets a lot of flack for not focusing on combat enough. And its it's way that it goes into the exploration and roleplay isn't as strong as other characters. And so it just feels weaker overall.
1: Yeah. I think, again if you've got somebody who's a ranger playing at your table and mm-hmm. say so you're the dm i think you need to to take travel into account, wilderness right. travel you got to take a different like approach to it you it's can't be a little just, bit more serious with it yeah yeah i mean a lot of travel dms kind of just kind of make a, through it maybe a you roll, check right yeah for an encounter or something but it's pretty light and then on you get because they're trying to drive their story forward mm-hmm. but i think you've got to make sure playing that a ranger, play,
0: yeah you gotta appeal to them in some way, you know. You can't, like, you gotta appeal to their character. If, yeah. If, if they're playing a ranger, you know. Yeah, and there's plenty of rules to do that. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could you could take an idea like that and expand on it. Sure. Uh,
1: I I think. I think it would be it must be fun before the party meet. Like again, session one, the. The DM has everybody except the ranger get lost in the woods. <laughs> Sure. Um, which is actually not that hard to do. If you're looking for food, uh, looking for danger, uh, doing pretty much anything except Billing. making sure you're yeah. staying on the right
0: path. It's easy to get lost.
1: You And then you roll the dice and it's like, oh yeah, it's only going to take us four hours to figure out that we're lost and figure out then how to get back on to so, sure. right If you... If you play just the rules that are in the DM's guide for getting lost and refinding your way, it won't take long for a party once they suddenly have a ranger who's like, oh yeah, if you guys are with me, we never get lost in the woods. To suddenly be like,
0: yeah, that's great. (laughs) We're going through the woods. Especially, and then, especially some of the subclasses expand on that more. Like the horizon walker, who can find planar portals near them. And since that thing is, you know, built for exploration in some ways. And I feel like many... DMs or groups in general just overlook exploration, right? Um, and find it sort of something to put to the side to focus more on roleplay or more on combat. Sure. Or DMs have a story that they're trying to well, unfold. Well, yeah, that's sort of the roleplay aspect. And, yeah, there, right? and so you're a little bit more on a
1: railway track of sorts. Um, where if you build a bigger sandbox style sort of thing where it's like, all right, where do you guys want to go? And, sure, yeah. And, you know, you, you've got a ranger with you, so... If you want to, like, look for planar portals, Sure, yeah,
0: definitely. And I feel like they do get a bit of the short stick in terms of combat and what other classes get, but they are geared for exploration. And I feel like in 5th edition, many groups I've seen yeah. and I've online don't really care about exploration as much. And that's just a preference, but...
1: Yeah, my, my tables currently aren't playing hardcore survival. Right, films, so and that games. can
0: be just... So time-consuming. Well, and not as interesting <clears throat> as combat. You know, would you rather spend thirty minutes in a crazy combat that could lead to a character nearly dying, or would you spend thirty minutes, you know, haggling down with some funny shopkeeper? you're, you're well, or learning a, about plot you're, or whatever. If you're but,
1: willing, if you're willing to spend that much time haggling over two gold pieces, like why shouldn't you spend some time traveling?
0: I mean, sure. You know, it's it's a part of the game as well. You sure. know.
1: I mean, there's lots of stuff like the person who took the Outlander background who gets to come back with free food for foraging without having to roll survival. There's all sorts of, like, awesome little pieces in there that nobody gets to touch on if you don't make travel part of the game.
0: Right. And I think the ranger is the ultimate exploration class, you know? It is built for finding a place to thrive in and exploring it, you know? And people give them stick because they don't see that pillar of the game or they don't value it as much or yeah. their table doesn't value it as much and so then oh. the question about why you would ever play this comes up yeah
1: because it's role play wise it's often Weak. very one dimensional
0: exactly I feel like in some ways the natural explorer picking one place that you're good at if you spend one part of your campaign there great but yeah, then if, the rest of the look, time you're just doing nothing as you know? a
1: DM if you're going to let somebody play a ranger at your table you had better build that entire setting yeah. for that ranger to work in. Otherwise, I mean, you might as well just cut off, you know, when the player's arms. Like, it's. Sure,
0: right. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. So you have everything, like, in the forest, and I'm putting you in the desert.
0: It's right? practically like letting wizards only cast spells in the desert or in, like, yeah. while you're near the coast. Yeah. You can only cast spells. Or you can you only are, cast a certain number in of exactly spells. Exactly. Exactly the right.
1: Coast environment that you really enjoy
0: or like you're you're you don't get to add any bonuses to your spells unless you're near the coast and it's like well then what's the point you know it just sucks unless you're playing coastal campaign you know or whatever the campaign is right and i feel like that's sort of the downside of rangers that you do have to narrow in on something that can be so inconsequential in the moment but then becomes so useless you know when you actually get into game and i suppose there's a difference between expectation and reality when you play a character and like the idea of a character might be so cool but then you sit down to play it and suddenly everything goes wrong much like your grim Durgar Eberron character and you had this crazy school of invention UA which I warned you about and then immediately you get in and take exhaustion and it sucks right yeah I mean it's fun but yeah yeah. look I don't regret him I don't I, I don't think you should so I think we're talking about this but...
1: this a uh, character I play in another campaign and it's an Eberron campaign and he's a Grey Dwarf which is also a really weird talk yeah. to your DM they may not let you play um but mine's got a story that ties into yeah. the game it, which is weird in Eberron but it's given where he wants the game to go it makes sense um and he yeah a School of Invention wizard which doesn't even list on D&D Beyond anymore, anymore yeah and uh and, hey, I just picked up another level towards Rune Knight, which <sighs> may not be anything beyond Rupert's class either. <laughs> He's weird. Um, we'll talk about him another day. But you're right. My, my initial regret with that was discovering largely why School of Mansion's not there anymore. It's And why, actually, any time you, you look at doing a wild magic uh, caster you have to think about There's it. There's a Sorcerer one that's like this as well. Well, the Sorcerer one doesn't give you exhaustion. But... No. The exhaustion twist on it was something that we homebrewed in as well. Mm. So that's oh. that's not rules as written. Um, well, none of it is rules as written. Yeah, but... uh, well, mm-hmm. we, the, we are using the rules of, that were written for School of Inventions. So we haven't homebrewed the whole thing. But yeah, the... The level of exhaustion thing is in there so that if I choose which spell to cast, then I have to make a constitution save, uh, DC exhaustion. five plus the spells level, mm-hmm.
0: which isn't that hard. Oh, it isn't that hard.
1: No, you'd think. Um, and yet I've managed over four sessions to get exhaustion twice that way. So, mm. Hey,
0: um, well, just the dice sometimes. And, uh,
1: Yeah so that's that's a tough one um, you know suddenly having especially if you've de- if it happens early on in the session for the rest of the session generally you're not getting another long rest that <laughs> if you've got a lot of role play stuff coming up all your checks being made at uh, disadvantage is just <laughs> guaranteed fails mm. so bad um, but yeah I don't I don't I think, yeah. What do you do? What would you do if a player said to you, like a friend of yours said, I don't like this character anymore. I've been playing them for a while and I think, I think they suck. Or at least they're not as cool as everybody else's character at the table. What would you do?
0: I would... Well, there's multiple ways I would go with it. I would ask them if they're done playing the character and if they feel like their story is done, right? And if they're in the middle of some sort of story with their character, I would try to motivate them to either end it in a sort of a good note. Maybe we discuss a point where the character could have their demise, if that makes sense for the character. I would discuss maybe giving them something that makes them feel a little bit more cool or compensates. Or I would let the character drift off, you know, maybe if it makes sense the character would reunite with their family or do whatever makes sense for their backstory and tie the little ribbon on their character off so they can do that and they can try a new character. You know, I wouldn't let them just do that willy-nilly, right? Because I want there to be some sort of ongoing narrative, right? But if someone does feel locked in a place that they're not comfortable with, there's always ways to change it or buff something or add a home rule that makes them a little cooler.
1: Yeah, I I'd say like, look, life is short. Sure. You don't know how many how
0: sessions many sessions have, yeah. you're gonna
1: get in this campaign with this table full of people before life gets in the way and interrupts it and that game's over. If you're if you're unhappy with the character that you're playing. Sure. Talk to DM. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get something sorted out quick. Um, and whether like you said, that's some sort of cool thing that happens in story that mm-hmm. makes you feel like your character's more important even if they're still weak.
0: Or if it's an opportunity to retire a character. Yeah. You and start a new up, adventure.
1: Or you know. kill them off. Maybe you can do something
0: cool as well. Maybe you can make some really heroic sacrifice for sure. the table. It doesn't you, have to be. But you to, if, if you're it. a goofy character you could, and you're comfortable with it not having such a dramatic thing and he was a funny guy, you could just have some... Especially if you're playing like a goblin or a kobold <laughs> or something. Walking you're walking
1: along to, <laughs> a, a narrow mountain ledge and you look back and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack's character is suddenly just gone. (laughs) Like you hear this faint sound of somebody falling. (laughs) I mean, I suppose it's up to the DM, you know. Is gone. And at the next mountain pass you find Jack's new character. (laughs)
0: Hi. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like, okay. That didn't interrupt the story too much.
0: Sure. I mean, it can be a bit jarring. Especially if you've been playing it for a very long time. Right? Uh, uh, yeah,
1: I suppose it depends how serious it is, too. And, like, yeah. Exactly. How many other NPCs and story points and things like that you've got tied up in that character.
0: And how often are people dying, you know? Is it a game where no one dies? And sort of, like, you'll it'll just be a development of a progression of a character? Or is your DM a meat dungeon? Meat grinder? Meat grinder, where you just throw characters at it and they continue to just die and die like Jackson, and die and, die and die and die. I don't know. Um... I don't, I don't think people want to play that. I don't well, know what... I mean, I don't know. There might be people out there, death, but... death has got to be a
1: real option at the sure. table. Sure. Otherwise without that, like that sense that like if you, I don't know for me, whenever one of my characters drops to zero hit points and it's starts like making a... death saves, I'm sweating.
0: Yeah. I
1: am sweating it,
0: especially at the lower levels. You know, where there is no real immediate yeah. safe.
1: and especially if you don't have <laughs> much cleric. in the way of healing on your, your right. in your party, um, it can be it can be like okay, this is it, this is the end. This is scary. Um, barely knew this character, and I'm so sad that they're going away. I can't be sad, but then
0: I I am I would be I'm definitely. I mean, you've built such characters. Character. I mean. I love, I love your characters. I think they're so creative and so interesting. So weird and so wonderful. wonderful. I mean, I don't know how you play them. I've never watched you play them. But they seem so sort of full of life in these worlds. And they have all these crazy sort of weird oddities to them, like being an eight-foot-tall rogue or having exhaustion levels from trying to cast your spells. But like sort of role-playing it in a fun way, you know, and taking that flaw or the niche or the weird and embracing that and making that a part of your character and i mean i we've said this almost every episode now but it's okay if your character isn't perfect million points of damage every turn yeah ultimate party damage dealer. don't don't ever rate your character by how much damage you can do no i mean there's so many things about a character you know and there's like how many hit points do they have what's their saving throw bonuses and that only matters so much I mean how interesting is your character how much fun are they to play at the table like it depends where you derive like where your enjoyment of the game comes in do you enjoy is it cathartic for you to you know like slash through enemies you know is it cathartic for you to tell a dm that you succeeded on their save you know that they failed you know or is it fun for you to play your character and have a laugh with other people playing their characters at the table not necessarily in combat you know? Or is it fun for you to listen, or as a DM even, describe your your world filled with fascinations, you know, ancient culture that you've sort of built in there and every sort of detail and exploring this world. Is that where you get your joy from? You know? And it's DM like D and D is really what you make of it and there's so much to be enjoyed from it. Whether it is the combat, it is the role play or it is the exploration you know it's really what you prioritize and what you find works i
1: i like i like when you're coming to the table thinking not about what you can do for your character sure but what your character can do for the rest of the party right and uh the other night we surprised when the players at the table uh by having We've got a party that's got two wizards, an artificer, and a gunslinger. All um, oh, crazy, a yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, such a perfectly balanced party, uh, but it does mean with that many spell users that crafting magic item time-wise, it's actually not not too bad. We have you know time between missions to actually you know get some stuff done. And uh, and so yeah, we crafted him uh, with his help uh, a new rifle uh, for the gunslinger. We crafted the gunslinger a new rifle, but we didn't tell him we were going to do this before we showed up. We all planned it out sort mm-hmm. of before we got to the table, yeah. and then surprised him with it. And I cleared it with the DM and everything first. Uh, and he actually the DM loved it because he was trying to look for a way that he could get, you know, some sort of magic rifle into the game but and it doesn't
0: exist and it, it's but all it wasn't too sure where much, to put
1: right. it or how to like set that sort of thing up sure so um so it's kind of like within the story we're sort of he's got set up in eberron it was just mm-hmm. this particular group of warforged that um were well known for their sort of rifles um they're around in the game but they're not everywhere sort of thing um so yeah crafting one for him was real was real fun we did like an 18 montage at the table everybody chipping in doing funny things probably spent i don't know 10 15 minutes or whatever just goofing around um yeah playing make-believe workshop it was fun yeah um so that sort of stuff you know that stuff doesn't show up on your character sheet no there's no stat block that says How, how much cool can I bring to the table? How much fun am I bringing? Um, that comes that, from you. Yeah, that's up to you as a player. And I think that's where...
0: Uh, it's of the greatest parts of d d can come from.
1: Yeah. Like the,
0: the shared experience. Absolutely. What you do for your friends. You
1: know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah.
0: It's a nice place maybe to wrap up all so right
1: three. so we'll leave it there for today um thank you for
0: listening thank you very much uh
1: tuning in again next episode where we will discuss more exciting dungeons and dragons stuff i'm jay Owe. i am jack Owe. and
0: we are like dragon Blank. Blank.